It's so good to have you here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making church part of your Sunday. Um, and just based on the crowds, uh, you know this is not the 11 o'clock service, right? Yep, 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 yep. Um, man, you gotta love fallback. We should do that every single week. I'm a huge fan of fallback. The one downside to the whole fallback time change is kids don't get that memo, do they? No, man, my kids were wide awake. And I'm like, no, 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 go back to bed. I'm like, but we're up. I'm like, go back to bed. Uh, but man, good to have you guys here. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, when we hit November, at least in, in for me and our family, yes, Christmas is full on now for all of you guys that wanted me to wait to get out of Halloween. We're there, um, so ready for Christmas. But it also causes us to start reflecting back over the last year, doesn't it? You start thinking back over 2023 and, and things to be grateful for, just like Kate was talking about, things that, man, we've been through some rough things, so... You get November and you start looking back. And if I were to pick one thing, uh, just even as a church, like, man, we got to see some, some really cool things this year with buildings and all the different things. But if I were to celebrate one thing with you as a church this last year, what I want to celebrate is the baptisms we've seen this last year. 33 kids, students, adults went public with their faith so far in 2023 in this year. And we're thankful for the building or whatever, but no, that's why we do things. So I just wanted to celebrate and show you a couple. Let me show you a couple pictures. Uh, this is Ted. Ted is standing right next to me. And Ted have the privilege of baptizing Bria. So that's Ted and Bria. And then this next picture is Craig. And Craig is in that picture getting ready to baptize Chloe. And the reason out of all of the 33 baptism pictures I could have shown you, I wanted to show you Bria and Chloe's baptism because of who was doing the baptism. Trust me, I love baptizing people. I love seeing God move into people's lives. I love seeing the, the joy in people's eyes as they come out of that water, recognizing they are now a new creation in Christ, that we are dead to our sins, but alive in Christ. But what I love even more about those pictures is it was... Bria's small group leader in the fourth and fifth grade ministry, Ted, that did her, did her baptism. That it was Chloe's school teacher and fourth and fifth grade small group leader for one of the other services, Craig and Allison, that got to baptize her. Like that is a beautiful picture of discipleship, right? It's the faith that I have is not just for me. It is intended to go through me to impact other people around me. And I'll just tell you, like, this has been a prayer of mine for a long time. I don't think I've ever told you this. Some, uh, some of our prayer team knows this because we pray for this often. But a prayer of mine is 10 years from now. That's an arbitrary number. You don't have to hold me to it. But let's say 10 years from now, I ask a question in a church service just like this. I said, would you raise, you don't actually do this, but if I were to say, would you raise your hand if you've been able to baptize somebody that you helped lead to Jesus? I want to see almost every hand up. Like, that's a prayer of mine. Because what that says is we are not just a church that shows up to gather, but we are a church that disciples other people. And so we got to see just in this last year, Ted and Craig be able to not just have their own faith, but to share that faith with some amazing people around them and got to be part of their next steps in their spiritual journey. So that's, that's the heart. Right? We see Jesus actually command this in the Great Commission. Uh, if you were here last week, we mentioned that Jesus talked about the Great Commission and the Great Command. The Great Command we tend to focus a whole lot on as a church, to love God, but also to love others. But the Great Commission is, no, we go and we share that faith. We go and tell other people. Luke chapter 10, 
We're going to look at this passage every single week. It sets up where we're going throughout this whole series. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. These were his instructions to them. So this is Jesus giving instructions to some of his disciples that already believed in him and had faith. He said to them, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go, say go with me, go. And remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus saying, I'm glad you believe. I'm glad you have faith. I'm glad we have a relationship, but it's not just about us and Jesus. He says, no, but you need to go. I'm sending you out so that you can continue to share your faith with other people. And we said this last week that sending does not necessarily mean on the other side of the world. Sending is being sent home to disciple your kids. Sending is going home to your family. Sending is going to work, it's to the store, it's to school, it's to your workplace and being a light in dark places. So this is not like send me wherever. I mean, yes, that's our posture. But I would imagine that God is planning to send you someplace where you already are, but just with a different intentionality and purpose. So this is two things we're gonna do throughout this series as we focus on discipleship and have this discipleship conversation, relationships where we are growing to be like Jesus, but we are also helping others become like Jesus. The first thing we're gonna do throughout this entire teaching series is we are going to pray. Jesus told us to do just that. So pray, pray and ask. So at 10.02 a.m. every single day, Let's see if your alarms go off here in about like 20, in like a few minutes. That'll be fun. Uh, so at 10.02 a.m., we're gonna pray. Here's the prayer. Lord, send me and send more. Wherever you want me to go, into my family, into my workplace, into my school, into my community, into my neighborhood, send me to go and be a light. But it can't just be me. Keep sending more. Send me and send more. Hopefully that's a reminder every day. Set your alarm or calendar reminder, 10.02 a.m. based on Luke chapter 10, verse two. So that's a reminder of what we're praying. The second thing we're gonna do throughout this conversation of discipleship is we are gonna study through 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a letter written by Paul to Timothy. If you were here last week, we kind of explained kind of what that looked like. But bottom line, this is Paul's last words that we have recorded before he is soon to be executed. And he's writing to his young protege, Paul is writing to Timothy, trying to disciple him so then he can go and pass on and disciple others. And that's, again, a beautiful picture of this relationship. The faith that we have, we are to pass on so that that person can make their faith their own and then they can pass that on as well. So that's what we see throughout Paul's letter to Timothy. And we're gonna pick, uh, or as we go through this, these should be the questions we always um, ask, kind of a two-part question here. As we study 2 Timothy together, how can I grow to trust Jesus more? So how do you make this personal, right? What Paul writes to Timothy, there's gonna be something. I mean, I'm praying that there's something, oh man, I needed to hear that. Like, that's for me. But don't miss the second part. And how can I lead others to trust Jesus more? Oh, I know somebody that needs some encouragement here. I know somebody that I can help with here. I know somebody that I can guide in the right direction over here. So as we study 2 Timothy, we're praying that he would send us and send more. And we are saying, God, what do you wanna say to me? But how do you wanna use my faith to, to help somebody else as well? So if you got your Bible, be in 2 Timothy. We'll be there the rest of the morning. 
2 Timothy, we're going to pick up right where we left off from last week. Uh, if you need a recap, just read the first part of it or go back and watch online if you need to. But hopefully this will be able to stand alone enough where you don't feel totally lost. So here's what Paul is going to tell Timothy. He's already encouraged him in several other areas. We know they have a deep relationship with one another. Verse 8 out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the, strength God, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer. Remember the word suffer. We're going to sit on that for a little bit. Be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. What exactly is the good news? I'm so glad you asked. you asked. Verse 9, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. Let that sink in. God saved us and has called us, not because we're doing the right things, not because we are deserving of it, but because he desired it, because of his grace, because of his plan before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Verse 10, and now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Look what he did. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. That's not just good news, that's great news, right? He explains what we call the good news or the gospel. Those are the same words there. This is great news because it tells us just that. What is salvation? What is the good news? What is the gospel? That God sent Jesus to die for our sins, came in human form. Jesus, fully God, fully man, perfect and sinless, died on the cross willingly and sacrificially to take our sins away conquering both sin and death as he rose from the grave. And our salvation is based on his grace, not our good deeds and our good works. We put our faith in him, we trust in him, we believe in him, and we are given the grace and the love and the forgiveness. And then we are given something. Again, not because we deserve it. We are given the hope and the promise of eternal life with him. He gives us life abundant life, true life, starting now that goes and stretches through all of eternity. That is the good news. Paul wanted to make sure he and Timothy were on the same page. This is good news. This is the great news. Tim Keller said it this way. I love his language here. He said, the gospel says that you are simultaneously more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, yet more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. What great imagery. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so because of that good news, Paul even told Timothy, so that's why we tell people. We have to make sure that people know the good news, that people know the gospel, that people know how to find this life. And it's not in ourselves. It's only found in Jesus. He tells that to Timothy. He says, you have to tell others this. Paul said that a lot in his letters, not just to Timothy. In fact, in Romans, he says this and he uses Old Testament to back up what he's saying now. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul writes, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have, if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being, and there's our word, sent? This is why the scripture, that is why scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. That's us. That's why we're praying, send me and send more. 
We have the good news. We have that faith. We have that promise. We have that hope. But how do we begin to allow God to use us to tell other people how beautiful are the feet of the messengers that take the good news to other people? So Paul is telling all of this to Timothy. We have this good news. You believe in the good news. I believe in the good news. We have that hope. We have that promise. We have that life. Let's make sure we're sharing that with other people. But Paul to Timothy, he writes it in a little bit of a different frame. And he says, so don't be ashamed of it. And that's a little interesting. Like, don't be ashamed. What's there to be ashamed of? Like, we just talked about how great this news is and all, this, all that comes with this good news, that the life that comes with it, it's not by our works, it's not by our deeds, it's only through faith in Jesus and he gives us grace. Why would we be ashamed of that? Let's go back and remember a couple things that in our day and age today, we kind of like blow through this a little bit. He's saying, don't be ashamed. And he points to specifically that Paul's still in prison. We tend to maybe put some distance between us and other people that have been uh, convicted of a crime and then executed by the government. That tends to be like, we wouldn't necessarily want to associate with them. That's Jesus. Jesus was convicted of a crime by the government. He was executed. And now Paul, for speaking up about Jesus, has also been arrested by that same government and is now awaiting execution and is currently on death row. So I could understand Paul leaning in a little bit to Timothy and saying, we have the good news, but don't be ashamed of it. Just because Jesus was convicted and executed, we know the truth that he came back to life, but just because he was convicted and executed, don't be ashamed of him. And Paul, don't be at 1002. I love that. Don't <laughs> apologize for that. Don't be mad at all. Thank you. I'm loving it. Send me, send more. Yes, I was hoping that would happen. I'm very happy. Let's get them all happening next week. He says, but don't be ashamed of me either. Just because I'm in prison, don't be ashamed. Of, I mean, just think like if, if you have a mentor in life and if somebody were to come to you, hey, tell me about your mentor. Like who's helping you? Who's leading God? Oh man, he is such a good man. Oh yeah, well, like could we, no, nah, not really. He's currently in prison. He's on death row. And he's your best, he's your best mentor. You didn't have any other options other than the guy that's in prison waiting to be executed. So I understand where Paul is leaning into Timothy saying, so don't be ashamed. And, and if that word ashamed is a little too strong for you, let me add maybe a few other words. Avoid, put distance between, not wanting to associate with. How about that? That maybe hits home a little bit more. Paul is saying, don't put distance between you and Jesus just because of what the government said about Jesus, or just because of what other people believe about Jesus, or just because of what the religious leaders thought about Jesus. Don't, don't, don't disassociate with me, Timothy, just because things aren't going well for me, just because I'm currently suffering, just because I'm in prison. Don't, don't step away from our relationship. So last week, if you were here, I was sitting in a chair because I threw my back out, doing much better, thank you. Um, but Halloween trick-or-treating in our neighborhood was interesting. Um, so we were... I did my best to walk around with my kids because I, I love doing the trick-or-treating thing with them. We have so much fun with our neighbors and community and, and I'm walking kind of like this or going trick-or-treating. And it was interesting that my, my kids started to add a little bit more distance to me as we went house to house. And we'd go up and I'd be like, hey, trick-or-treat, uh, happy Halloween, good to see you. And my kids are like, whose dad is that? <laughs> I don't know him. And I'm like, hey, Connor, hey, what'd you get? In? What's, what candy did you get? And he's like, strange man's talking to me. 
So you could see there was maybe a little bit of an embarrassment there. Uh, part of that's just because I'm his dad, but then seeing old man dad um, didn't scream, oh, I want to be with you and I want everybody to know that you're my dad. Uh, that didn't happen last week. Because they wanted a little bit of distance, they wanted to separate themselves from me just a little bit. I don't know if they would use the word ashamed of, but they definitely did not want to associate with. So just maybe a couple questions to begin pondering. What would cause you to put distance between you and Jesus? Like what, if, what, what happens when we read through the gospels and Jesus says some things that aren't very popular? And we start like, oh man, I love the love your neighbor thing, but ooh, man, you said what? Do we start putting some distance there? What, what would cause you to not want to associate with his church? I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking his church, the body of Christ, the body of believers around the world. What would cause you to be like, oh man, I'm going to kind of avoid that gathering or that spiritual family for a little bit. Man, I, I like some of the things, but I don't know about this. What would cause you to be ashamed, to put distance between, to avoid or disassociate with Jesus or his family or his church. It's not that Timothy, at least the way that I'm reading it, it doesn't seem like Timothy is currently having that problem. It doesn't look like he is ashamed. This is Paul, a disciple that's discipling, a mentor of Timothy's saying, don't let it get to that point. And what a beautiful role of Paul's relationship I mean, that's part of what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We kind of get to spur each other on. It's like, hey, this isn't an issue right now. Like, I don't see any problems now, but like, let's make sure it doesn't become a problem. That's what Paul seems to be doing in this section with Timothy. It's not don't be ashamed because you are. It's don't be ashamed because it might get to that point where you start to be tempted. It might become a problem. doesn't seem like it is right now, but hold on. Then Paul begins to point forward. He says, so you need to be ready for what's coming. I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to not just have the good news for yourself, but I want you to share it, not be ashamed because, what was the word I told you to remember? What's coming up? Suffering, suffering. In fact, he uses this language. He says, so don't be ashamed, but look, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. It's not you might suffer. It's not it could get a little difficult. It's not watch out because things kind of get rocky. It's be ready for this. Be ready to suffer. Now, we need to make sure, like we're going to kind of hit timeout for a second. We need to have a suffer conversation because oftentimes, I would say all the time, we would have a specific view or perception or a perspective of the word suffer and suffering. And I would venture to guess none of us would say, it's an awesome thing. I am so thankful for my suffering. Don't think that's usually where we go. And I'm not getting to that point, but as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we absolutely should have a different view of suffering. Ours should be very different than the way the world views suffering. Here's what scripture says. Let me put this up. We're gonna walk through them real quick. Here's what Jesus says in regards to suffering. Wait for it. You're on pins and needles. It was worth the wait. Look at what Jesus said about suffering. In regards to suffering, and we are talking about specifically suffering because of the good news. This is not suffering because it just was a bad day at work. So when we not just believe in Jesus, but trust in Jesus and live according to his word, there will be suffering. Jesus said, you're blessed when that happens. Matthew chapter five, God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, lie about you, say all kinds of evil things against you. 
because you follow me, he said. Be happy about it. Jesus' words in regards to suffering for the sake of the good news. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Jesus said in regards to your suffering because of the good news, you're going to be blessed. The early Christians said that suffering was considered an honor. In Acts chapter 5, and this is, they had been, the, the apostles had been arrested and beaten multiple times. They were released under the condition that they would no longer preach the name of Jesus. But look, the apostles left the high council. This is after they were arrested by the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, and they were rejoicing. Look at their language. That God had counted them worthy to suffer. I don't know about you, but I have never used those, those words together like that. That I rejoice because I have been considered worthy to suffer. Isn't suffering like because I did something wrong? Isn't suffering because things aren't going well? You mean I'm considered worthy. Because you deem me worthy, now I get the reward of suffering? In disgrace for the name of Jesus. They considered it an honor. James, technically the half-brother of Jesus, he said that suffering was actually helpful and useful, and we should consider it a joyful opportunity. James chapter one, he said, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, he broadens that way out. Any kind of trials or difficulties or struggles or sufferings, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Because you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And if you keep reading, he'll explain that it's getting to a place where we would have a mature faith, not lacking in anything. James said it's helpful. James says it's an opportunity for growth. Paul, just a couple chapters later in what we're reading here, Paul is going to say it is just part of the Christian life. He'll tell Timothy, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. That should change our perspective of suffering just a little bit. We should expect it. We should see it as an opportunity. We should count ourselves worthy. We should see it as a blessing and be happy doesn't line up with what our world says, does, does it? But that's what Paul is trying to help Timothy understand. Timothy is a young disciple and he doesn't know what he's walking into. And what a wonderful, again, this relationship of discipleship for Paul to look at Timothy and said, it's about to get really hard. So don't be ashamed. In fact, be ready for it because of what it means and because of who you can lean on and who you can trust. The good news, we share it, but we also prepare and we get ready for the suffering that comes with it. So then Paul's gonna switch. He's gonna kind of shift into instruction. And again, we see this, this is gonna happen throughout Paul's letter to Timothy. Let me tell you some truth. Now let me help you apply it. Let me give you some encouragement, but let me challenge you and lean in. We see this back and forth of Paul discipling Timothy. So now he goes into instruction. So you've got the good news. We know we're supposed to tell people, don't be ashamed, be ready for suffering. So here's how you do that. Verse 11, Paul writes, it says, and God chose me to be a preacher and apostle and a teacher of this good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it for I know the one in whom I trust and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth or some translations would say treasure, guard this carefully guard, this precious truth, this precious treasure that has been entrusted to you. Let's talk through this for a second. First, notice what Paul does. 
You got the good news. You got to tell people, don't be ashamed. And yes, it's going to get hard. You're going to suffer. But then what a wonderful example. He says, but that's what I'm already going through. He kind of leads by example. He says, Timothy, I'm practicing what I preach. I'm, because of me having the good news and me sharing the good news, I'm suffering currently as I write this. I am in prison. So there's a little bit of encouragement there, isn't there, of if I'm Timothy reading this from Paul, he's not just telling me something he's not experienced himself. He's, no, he's telling me this as he's right in the thick of it, right in the middle of it. And Paul says something that I don't want us to miss. He says, I'm not ashamed of it, but why? For I know the one in whom I trust. I know the one, not the thing. Paul makes this a whole lot more about a person than he does just a belief system or a religion. And church, we've got to make sure we're on the same page here. Christianity is not a belief in something. It is trusting in Jesus. It is trusting in him. It is in whom I put my trust. So often we make Christianity about the rules. We make Christianity about the do's or the don'ts. We make Christianity about a set of religious rituals. We make Christianity, Christianity about a set of religious systems. And I'm not saying those things are always bad. I mean, they're in God's word. They're there for a reason. But let's make sure we're understanding what our faith is based upon. Not something, someone. And Paul says, in the midst of me suffering because of the good news, I'm not ashamed, not because of something, but because of someone. We put our faith, we put our hope, we put our trust in Jesus. Not anything, not anyone else. It's in whom I trust. Do you think that's important for Timothy to remember? Because I bet if you're like me, as you've gone through your Christian life, there's times you're like, do I really believe this? I'm struggling. You can have those doubts. We've talked about doubts here before. When the going really gets tough, you start to second guess. Unless it's fallback weekend. I don't know if I want to go to church today. <laughs> right? We, we start to base our faith on the things Instead of what Paul says here, which I completely agree with, for I know the one in whom I trust, Jesus. If your faith is based on anything other than Jesus, you have it in the wrong place. Amen. It needs to be firmly founded on Jesus Christ and his name alone. So he's helping Timothy understand, you're not going to get through the suffering if you've got your faith placed in something else. It's got to be only on Jesus. And then he says an interesting, an interesting line here. Paul says, so hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. You learned from me, so I'm teaching you this. So now hold on to it. Don't lose it. And then he uses that phrase almost again, a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. He uses the words hold on because it's easy to let go of sometimes. He's talking about the truth. And we hold on to that truth when it fits what we want the truth to be. We hold on to that truth when it's working for me. We hold on to that truth when we're not dealing with suffering. We hold on to that truth when everybody else agrees with us. But he's like, no, you got to hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. Hold on to the truth, especially when it gets hard, especially when it gets difficult, especially when you're not even sure if you agree or not, especially when there's pushback, especially when he says, you got to hold on to the truth. And that pattern is not that pattern from the truth, then imp it impacts every single part of your life. 
the faith that you have, the belief that you have, the love that you give, in other words, the life that you live. So you hold on to the truth, that truth will create a pattern in your life for you to live by. Patterns are interesting. Let's have some fun with this. Let me put the first one up. Let's see how you do on patterns. All right, so let's see if we can follow the pattern. You have a square, a circle, square, circle. If the pattern is true, what's next? Square. Square. Good job. I'm so proud. Let's make it a little harder. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's make it a little bit harder. We're adding one here. So we have square, circle, triangle, square, circle, Man, you guys are like fortune tellers. You can see the future. This is amazing. Yes, all right. Last one. We're really gonna go out. Here we go. Last one. Let's see if you can get it. It's getting harder, isn't it? I know. Square, triangle, circle, star. Square, triangle, circle. No way you're gonna get it. You're kidding me. You guys are just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I don't know how you do it. Right? You laugh at that because you're like, no, it's, it's easy to know what's next because it's following the what? It's following the pattern. That's the life of a Christian. I'm gonna hold on to the truth. And no matter what comes, guess what I do? I follow the pattern that I've been given. I've been, I'm following the truth that I have been given. So no matter the suffering, I know how I'm to respond to it because I'm following the pattern of wholesome teaching. When things don't go well in my family, I know how I'm supposed to react. I know how I'm supposed to respond. We talked about anger a few weeks ago. I know how I'm supposed to respond because I know the pattern of the truth. I know what my life is supposed to look like. Patterns are continual. That pattern could keep going on and on and on and on and on. Those patterns don't end. And they're also predictable. Predictable. In some ways, the life of a follower of Jesus should be predictable. Because no matter what life throws at us, no matter what happens around us, because of the truth that we hold on to, how we live our lives should be predictable. We serve. We love. We give truth in love. We're generous. We care. We have compassion. We have the good news that needs to be told. You see what Paul's helping Timothy understand? No matter what comes your way, if you will hold on to the truth, then the pattern of your life will be continual and it will be predictable. Our beliefs, as we hold on to the truth, should always dictate our behaviors. So in other words, stay true to the truth, but in two ways, not just in what we believe, but also in deed. That's what it means to hold on to wholesome teaching and have this pattern shaped by the faith and love that we have in Christ Jesus. Stay true to the truth in deed as well as in our faith. One more thing to point, and then we'll go to this last section, we'll close out. Um, it happens twice so far, just in the sections we're reading today, that Paul, when he encourages Timothy, and this is important, um, I would even say parents, this is a great, like, ooh, listen to this part, because we are the main disciples for our kids, but this is true in any discipleship relationship. When we're encouraging someone in the faith, brother and sister in Christ, it's not a, you can do this, you've got this, I believe in you. Like, those are very helpful words, and I'm not saying you never use those, but in a scriptural context, it should always point back to God though. And, and Paul does this twice. He did it earlier on. He said here, uh, middle of verse eight, Paul says, with the strength that God gives you, be ready. So Paul did not say, Timothy, you're strong enough, you're good enough, you're smart enough, you can do this. He said, no, 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 you can't, but with the strength God gives you, you can. And then he does it again right here in what we just read, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. That's how we hold on to the truth. 
So just see what Paul's doing here. He's not telling Timothy, you got it. He's saying, you're not going to get it. So you need the strength that comes from God. You need the power within the Holy Spirit that lives in you to be able to hold on to the truth, to make it through suffering with a different perspective. So good thing just to keep in the back of your head as you are encouraging others. It needs to point back to God again and again and again. Philip Towner, he uh, wrote a commentary on this section. He wrote, what the Spirit provides is power to endure the stress that comes from bearing witness to God. Look, not removal to some safe place. That's not what you wanted to hear, is it? <laughs> Holy Spirit, you were supposed to give me power that I could like make it through anything. Instead, it's, yeah, but that's not removing you. That's not just putting you in some other place where it's not a problem. It's not removing the suffering. It's not removing the difficulties. But the Holy Spirit will give you the power to hold on to the truth and hold on to what's right and to live according to that truth, that pattern. So it's not on us. We constantly point back to God. Verse 15, he kind of ends this section, gets a little bit personal for Paul. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. Man, that just took a left turn, didn't it? <laughs> Here's the good news, and we tell people, and I know you're going to suffer, and I'm in prison, but you can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. But just to be real with you, Second Timothy, um, I've had an entire region desert me. And then he actually names, you would hate to be one of these people, wouldn't you? Like for your name to forever live on in, in all of history and forever as the people that deserted, not just part of Asia, you actually deserted him and he gives their names. I'm going to try not to butcher them. Said here, even Phygelus and Hermogenes, specifically those two, they completely deserted Paul. Verse 16, may the Lord show special kindness to Onis Onisiphorus and all of his family, look, because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. Why does Paul include that last part? Why does he point to the people that deserted him? Why does he call them out? Why does he call them by name? Why does he highlight one individual that leaned in? You ever been hurt by a, a Christian? You ever had church hurt is kind of the word there? Have you ever had somebody disappoint you? Have you ever had somebody be ashamed of you or put distance between you and them? Paul's like, yeah, me too. But that doesn't mean the family of God is not important. That doesn't mean that our spiritual family is not valuable. Because yes, as we go through our lives and we hold on to the truth and follow the pattern of that truth, yes. We are going to have some people that disappoint us. We are going to have some people that put distance between us. We are going to have some people in our lives that that relationship changes. That happens. Paul's like, I've experienced. I had a whole region do that to me. He said, but I've also had people lean in. Do you remember that one man that came and he visited and he searched all over until he found me? Do you remember that guy? You know him because he helped you too. So Timothy, even when people disappoint you, don't give up on the church. Even when people walk away from you, don't give up on your spiritual family. Even when people put distance between you and them, there's always gonna be people that lean in. There's gonna be some that are ashamed and that's some that hold to the truth and the pattern that follows. It's very personal for Paul, but I think Timothy needed to hear it because you and I, I think, need to hear it too. We are always gonna be disappointed 
but we put our faith not in them, in the one in whom I trust, Jesus. And we value the spiritual community that he's given us. We value and we understand the importance of this spiritual family of brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's turn this around. That was Paul to Timothy. Here's what I think Paul would be saying to me. I think he would begin to ask me some of these questions. Who speaks truth into your life, Brian? Who helps you prepare for what's next? Who knows your desperation, your needs, your hurts, your desires, your fears? Who knows those? Because that's what a spiritual brother and sister does. They're not just friends that say hi and bye. Paul is saying, I'm gonna speak truth into your life. Hold on to the truth and live your life according to the pattern that follows. I'm gonna help you see what's next because you've not gone through it all yet and I have. In fact, I'm suffering currently. So I want you to know what's coming. Do you have somebody that's helping you see what's coming next? And it's amazing when you've gone through it, they know the pattern better than you do. And you need people to point out that pattern at times. But also knows you personally. Your desperations, your hurts, your pains, your needs, your fears, so they can come alongside you and not say you can do it, but to say it's the power of the Holy Spirit through you, that God is gonna strengthen you. Do you have someone that does this for you? Let's flip it. Because remember, discipleship is not one way. Who are you speaking truth into? Who do you come alongside and say, hold on to that truth that I know it gets hard. Who are you helping prepare for what's next? Man, I've been there. I'm in it right now. Let me help you see what to be ready for. And let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Let me walk alongside you. Do you know their desperation, their needs, their fears? It's gotta go both ways. I think that's what Paul is pushing for here is the importance of our spiritual family. We said it last week. Church is not just a spiritual gathering. It is a spiritual family. And that paints a picture of what we should have here. You can't have that with every single person in this room. You can have it with a few. If you don't have those few, start praying for it. And as I said last week, while you wait for someone to be that for you, start being that for someone else. Like Ted was for Bria. Like Craig for Chloe. Who might God put in your life to speak truth into, to help them see what's next and to know them deeply? As a spiritual family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're gonna take communion together. Paul tells us to do this, not just for ourselves, but to pass this on. When you walked in this morning, you should have gotten communion. If not, our team, they're gonna walk around, just kind of raise your hand. They'll take care of you. As they pass that out, let me read out of 1 Corinthians. These are Paul's instructions in how we take communion together. He writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul writes, for I pass on to you what I received. Again, we see this constantly. Here's what I've been given. Here's what I pass on. What I've received, I pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing, because we are not ashamed. We are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Communion is an opportunity for the body of Christ, the believers of Christ that have put their faith in him and only in him to do something as a community, as a family. We say we come to the table together to remember what Jesus has done, 
to look around and see who's part of this family with us and to look ahead for eternity with him. So we're gonna do that together. If you would, take the bread. And at the table together, we look back and thank him for his sacrifice on the cross. We thank him for the people we have in our lives and we look forward to the day we'll eat this again. Do this in remembrance of him. You can take your bread. Then if you'll take the juice, we look back and we thank God for the blood of Jesus that gives us freedom from our sins. We look around and we see the other people that are saved that we get to have relationships with and we look forward to eternity with him in heaven. You can take the juice. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for caring for us so much that you did not intend for us to go through this life alone, that you have given us brothers and sisters in Christ around us for us to be discipled by and for us to disciple others. May we always remember all that you've done, but may it not stay with us. May we be the messengers who share the good news. Send us and send more. In Jesus' name, amen.